I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs! And feel the power! It's a new day! Yes, it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all! Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, a sharp college football podcast, and your home for Pac-12 football news, your home for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the beta-ranked college football statistical model. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And the show continues to roll along as uh, breaking news, your favorite baseball team just got COVID. Um, but we uh, we are hoping that other sports teams will learn from this as we continue to roll through uh, the college football offseason. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to uh, you know, our channels and whatever. Follow us on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio. And I am joined, as always, by Mr. Max Meyer of William Hill. What's going on, Max? Not much, just uh, looking forward to July, or briefly July, and then August hockey and basketball. Yeah, I should say August, well, NBA basketball, because, nor- I mean, WNBA plays in the summer, and, and their season just kicked, uh, started, or tipped off last week. But yeah, M- NBA in August, I can't complain. Live sports, baby, it's starting to roll. Uh, we have we have Dodgers pitchers throwing at the backs of Astros. Uh, life is good. And uh, I'm also joined by Mr. Rob Barron from the Sharp College Football and the beta rank model what's going on rob oh i'm 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 excited to be here we we may get football may get college football we'll see i was listening to uh the solid verbal and they had uh, robert johnson on there and you know he was talking about like you know he's interviewing coaches and he's still plugged in with a lot of teams even though he was at vox and has since left um but the thing that bothers me the most right now is just like the complete um existence in non-reality where like nobody is planning for spring football and the biggest excuse we have is eh, like we don't that's going to be hard to do baseball and football at the same time it's like oh my gosh do you, do you want a football season or do you not do you want to have like a you know your your cash cow rolling whether it's a spring or fall or do you not obviously the nfl uh is being an issue too i think you have a lot of players if we go to spring ball but um, i heard that excuse again we heard it from john wilner talking to the pac-12 and like oh we don't want to have too many sports that'd be so hard uh but i think at some point you know, uh, we actually let's just get into it. it. Looks like Arizona, Rob, is bringing their players back to campus for fall camp. Is that right? Yeah, the uh, the freshman uh, players will report next week. Actually, um, and Arizona had suspended coming back because of um, the community spread that was going on in, in Tucson um, at Arizona State. I believe it also suspended their uh, bringing their players back because of uh, what was happening in Phoenix. So things have calmed down a little bit, at least in the Tucson area. And so uh, Arizona is um, bringing bringing the freshmen onto campus to uh, start workouts. It starts. It's the beginning of the end. 
And this week, we're going to go into ranking the Pac-12 North linebacking course. We continue to go through position by position. We will continue to do that. We're going to have some special guests coming up in the coming weeks, so get, get excited for that. And Max, there, but there's still been a little bit of news uh, dropping here for uh, not just in the Pac-12, but all across the country. Uh, what do you want to talk about here? Well, so today, um, the ACC, or I think there were, oh, I guess ACC actually officially announced it that uh, they're going to a conference-only schedule, but they are adding Notre Dame, and the Pac-12 impact for that is not that it was going to happen. I, I'm sure it didn't have much of a shot of happening yet anyway, but Notre Dame uh, has USC and Sta- uh, USC every season on the schedule and also Stanford this season as well, and so those games are will cease to exist this season. Yeah, that's a, a bummer. And, you know, look, I, I, I hear you, some of your Pac-12 fans saying, oh, well, USC was going to lose that game to Notre Dame anyway. Actually, like, USC plays Notre Dame really close, and that's always a really good game. It seems like uh, on our end in our pocketbooks last year, we uh, knew that Brian Kelly was going to play that game close to the chest and ended up taking the SC in points. So it's kind of a bummer. Look, it's a traditional rivalry, and it's a good um, national exposure game for anybody that's playing them, whether it's Stanford or USC. Kind of a bummer up. Yeah, it, it is a bummer um, to to lose the and the the ACC is allowing the uh, the schools to have one non conference game. The restriction is that it must be a school that is in the same state uh, as well as they have to agree to the uh, ACC testing protocols. So that leaves uh, a lot of the rivalries that they have with the SEC intact uh, potentially, but would of course leave it so that uh, I don't think that Notre Dame will get an exception to play USC. Well, what are you going to do? You know, that's a long trip anyway for uh, for Notre It's kind of a long trip to the East Coast, too. It's uh, kind of crazy that they're in the ACC. But that is neither here nor there. Um, I guess one more story that dropped that made national news out of the Pac-12, and that was offensive lineman Edgar Barola of the Arizona football program uh, suspended for breaking a COVID protocol. And uh, not, not a great look when, uh, you know, the entire Major League Baseball season might be <laughs> It might crash and burn because the Marlins did the same thing, Rob. Um, but it looks like uh, hopefully every college football team on the West Coast are going to learn their lesson. Yeah, I mean, he went on one of the local Tucson, um, you know, TV stations and did an interview. Uh, he, uh, for reasons that I like, as soon as he's describing it himself, I guess he should have realized why everybody was so mad. Um, his roommate had tested positive. Um, he was supposed to be isolating for 14 days because he had been exposed to someone that had tested positive and he went to the football facility <laughs> more than one time, uh, without a mask on when he was supposed to be isolating. So, um, yes, uh, Arizona made the right move. I, uh, my hope is, is that, um, I mean, he, Barolo certainly won't be the last person that has to be, I think, face discipline for, um, you know, breaking protocols. But I do hope that people will, you know, quickly respond to, you know, the discipline the programs are handing out. Let's hope that this is the lesson for the rest of the teams. Like, hey, please, please, for the love of goodness, don't do this uh, so that we can have football. But let's talk. We went through, if this is your first time listening, we've been going through position by position. We just did the defensive lines for the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12 North. We did include some of the outside linebackers and some of those uh, breakdowns, but wanted to do just the full linebacking core of each team. We're going to get into the North and we're going to do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Pac-12 North. Linebacking cores. A lot of lot of good talent, really. Like up and down. It, it kind of reminds me of the defensive, uh, the defensive fronts when we started to do the previews into the north. I'm like, wowie! Like there's there's some really good units here and some really good talent. Um, more so in the north and the south. The south will get there if you're a south fan. We'll do that uh, in, in two weeks. I think we're gonna continue bringing out some guests here next week. But uh, Max, let's start with you. Let, let's rank them. Go from top to bottom. What units stood out most for you? All right. Well, since we counted Hamilcar Rashid as defensive line last week, I, I feel like Oregon State, maybe not like I wouldn't have put them one, but at least I would have thought about um, like a top three spot. But once again, it's it's between Oregon and Washington. But I'm actually going to go the opposite route uh, from last or from last time where I had Oregon number one defensive line. I'm going Washington number one linebacking core. Um, I just I, I like the experience they bring back with uh, Joe Tryon and Ryan Bowman, their uh, starting outside linebackers. And, and I mean, their, their pass rush was a bit inconsistent, but I think overall this linebacking group, uh, very solid. And then inside they have Jackson Sermon, uh, who is a sophomore. And yeah, I, I just I, I like this linebacking group a lot overall. The middle. I have some questions about the middle. We'll get there. On the outside, I think you're right. Um, you know, Joe Tryon, 12 and a half tackles for a loss, eight sacks last year. And he was somebody that we were actually interested to see if he was going to put it all together because there were some questions about Washington's linebacking core last year. And boy, howdy, did he. Um, so he really took advantage of his time there. And you mentioned Ryan Bowen, Max. He might actually not see the field as much as he did this past year just because, and by the way, he had ten and a, or nine and a half tackles for a loss. And um, looks like he's going to be challenged a little bit. Uh, Leatu, Leatu. Uh, Draco Bynum, you got a couple other, like uh, Savelle Smalls is also like a huge, huge pickup that got, um, that ended up committing to Washington. He's going to have to push his weight into the mix. So on the outside, we're really strong. What is about the inside, Max? Are, are you worried at all about that? They had some issues last year with uh, Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington. They're, they're both gone. Um, I mean, it's not like the Huskies haven't recruited well, though. Yeah, I, I just think that having that, like, I mean, replacing Ben Burkirvan last year was always going to be a tall task. But, I mean, these guys were thrust into the action last year. I think just having another year of experience under their belts, and there should be some improvement there. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Rob, I'm curious what you think about the inside. We had talked about this a little bit last year or last week when we were talking about the defensive line for Washington, how um, when it came to stopping the rush, the inside linebacking core was really left a little bit to be desired. Um, and, look, we're going to get into all the pronunciations of these names. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm not going to get your backup walk-on guy that got a scholarship, and rightly so. Uh, we're just going to call him Edifuin, which is his first name. But he he actually really impressed as somebody that came in. He was, he was a previous walk-on, 47 tackles, three and a half tackles for a loss. Like, it looks like he's actually solidified that inside spot, Rob. Uh, the question is whether or not he's going to if anybody can pull him away from that and who the second inside guy is going to be at Washington and whether or not they're going to be more productive than the guys that just left. No, but this is in some ways a little bit of the problem at Washington is you keep having, you know, former walk-ons show up at your uh, your inside linebacking spots. Um, and, and if you ask Washington fans, you know, who they would like to um, probably swap out on the defense, 
on the coaching staff, it's the, the, the inside linebacker coach, um, that they're, they're not really in love with. So I, uh, I, I, I think that you, they, potentially they could be a little better than they were last year. Um, I think certainly having another year under the belt of the defensive line is going to help, um, you know, keep these guys clean coming through. Um, but they're, they're, they don't have, they don't have anything like the, the depth of experience or the depth of talent that they have at the outside linebacker positions. I mean, that said, I mean, the, the, the depth of talent that they have there out at the outside linebacker positions is so good. I also wouldn't be surprised that if they end up with a little bit of a log jam at the outside positions, if some of these guys don't get some time, uh, you know, on the inside positions as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting if they move anybody over. And like you mentioned, the depth there at the, on the outside, um, you know, when you mentioned somebody that's a starter like Ryan Bowman not being able to, he might not see the field as much, like we mentioned. But uh, one of the players that will be interesting is uh, Zion uh, Luapua Fatui, who is really a huge favor of the coaching staff. They like him a lot. He's on the outside. <laughs> so there's just all these really uh, blue chip, solid players that are going to be pushing for time. And it'll be interesting to see if they move anybody over to the inside. But, um, Rob, do you agree that Washington should be number one here? Would you put Oregon over them? I mean, they're going to have to replace some people too. No, I'd, I'd put Washington here at number one. I think Oregon, uh, I really like the talent they have, but they're replacing a lot more, um, than Washington is. I mean, with, uh, losing Troy Dye, um, and, you know, Bryson Young and some of the, you know, like what they're, what they're losing at the linebacker core, um, now they do bring they do bring in a lot of young players that you really like, but um, I think Troy Dye is you know was such a dynamic player for them last season that uh, you I'd put Washington ahead with what they're bringing back. Okay, and for right now I have Jackson Sermon as the second inside linebacker. Is that where you guys have, or I mean it's kind of up in the air, right? And like we're not going to have camp for another few weeks unless unless teams are silly, uh, which they might be, but it seems like that would be. Uh, that's that's who I have, Max. Is, is there anybody that you think? Yeah, well, uh, admittedly, I, I said Sermon first because I was afraid to pronounce the other guy's name. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, like Richard sophomore, he had 28 tackles last year. There's also a couple players that were injured, and um, it's, I mean, look, Washington just continues to roll. It's it's USC, Oregon, and Washington on the recruiting trail, and really nobody else behind them uh, that are that close. So a lot of talent. We'll see if they can put it together. Uh, that was kind of the one, if we're going to nitpick about Washington's defense, that inside linebacking core was where it was. So uh, hopefully they improve on that front. Rob, let's go to Oregon. You know, we just mentioned Troy Dye leaving. He was awesome, but it's not like Oregon is a, has a lack of talent back there to replace him and and really just to bolster that entire unit. So, uh yeah, they bring back some real talent. Isaac Slade Matutia, you know, is the headliner here, uh, you know, on this uh, on this linebacking unit coming back. Um, and they're they're going to have a chance to really shine at all positions because I think the, the defensive line for Oregon is going to be so good. Um, but it's not just, you know, Matutia. They all, you know, they also bring back uh, and, and got some, you know, reps at some guys like Samson New. Um, you know, like they, they did get some reps for some of these guys as well. Uh, Mace Puna also got some, you know, decent reps in, uh, there and as well as they signed a terrific class of linebackers this year too. I don't know if all of those guys are going to see the field this year. Um, but you know, you definitely feel good with the athletic talent they have as well as, you know, who they'll have in front of them, um, keeping them clean. Yeah. Max, Justin Flo, Noah Sewell. 
the number one and number two inside linebackers of the 2020 class, both committed to Oregon. Man, I if if they're anything like Kayvon Thibodeau, to, like totally different game. But if they if they live up to the hype like like Thibodeau did, you know, just that that elite prospect that came in and had an immediate impact. How fun is it going to see them battle with a really deep core here at Oregon? Yeah, no, it, it's crazy that with Lowe and Sewell that two of the the two top linebacking prospects in, in the country, and yet we're st- for me, I mean, the Oregon's linebacking court is just so behind. Uh, I shouldn't say so, but, but it's just the clear weak link of the defense just because the defensive line and the secondary is so elite. And yet they're still challenging for the top linebacking spot in the Pac-12. I mean, that defense is just so nasty. And, I mean, flow, incredible talent, and, and just another uh, recruit that Oregon got from California and, and flexing its muscle because even like five years ago, uh, would have been a pretty strong bet that Flo would have probably gone to USC. But now with all of Oregon's recent success and the recruiting machine that is Mario Cristobal, they got a guy who is a, a three, four-year starter for sure. Well, that money that money flow is starting to roll here at USC. So it'll be interesting to see if USC can hold court with the players that they have in California. They seem to be doing that this year. Uh, I, I just want to give a look. We mentioned Mace Foon on the last podcast, but holy goodness. So he's kind of playing that stud position. So, you know, that hybrid spot, but it doesn't matter. Like he is so freaking fast and he hits hard and he's fun to watch. He played as a true freshman and yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think, I think it's one a and one B, but the drop off between the drop off between Washington and Oregon and the rest of the division is significantly smaller than it was when we were talking about defensive line. Um, Cause I think, I think Washington and Oregon were elite and the rest of the PAC 12 North were pretty interesting. And here, Rob, or let's go with you, Max. I, I think that the drop, there's a drop off, but it's not, we're not falling off a cliff here in regards to the leakness of these two units compared to some of the other units that are kind of surprising on some teams where you look at the personnel they have and you go, wow, like didn't, didn't see that coming. But all of a sudden here's Oregon state and here's Washington state with some interesting players on the roster. Yeah. So third, um, again, like I, I said, the disclaimer before, since we, since we did Rashid last week, I'm not counting him as linebacker or else I probably would have put Oregon state here, but I'm going to go with Cal, even though they lose Evan Weaver, who was the best linebacker in the country last year. I mean, between him and Die, I mean, wow, those are two huge losses for those respective defenses. But Cal, I mean, the, the one-two punch of uh, Kwani Dang and Cameron Good, I think that that's definitely enough for the Golden Bears, for, for that uh, positional group to be the strength of the defense this season. Hithliday just turned his car off of the road um, at the mention of Cooney Dang. Um, he thought that, and look, I, I got to watch some of the tape on him. His, his opinion was Dang on the inside was out of position and he needed to move to the outside. Now, if you look at Dang's numbers, I mean, he has more than a hundred tackles and a lot of tackles for a loss. And he was really, uh, productive from a stats perspective. Be interesting to see. Um, and, and I think, I think Cal fans would also, um, take a little bit of an issue to Dang being put in an elite uh, spot, but I do like the outside linebackers. Um, I'm not smart enough of a football fan, Rob, so maybe I'll kick it to you on Dang on whether or not you like him. Um, but the numbers are there for him. I mean, certainly he was doing a lot of cleanup. Now, oftentimes you see those tackles and like, well, we're, we're, you know, with Evan Weaver gone, what does that mean for Dang? And, and is he able to just become a monster or is he going to suffer a little bit be it losing, like, frankly, the best linebacker in the Pac-12 last year? Well, you do wonder with Dang, I think, can he really 
fill Weaver's shoes? Um, and is he going to be as effective without Weaver there? I mean, I, I think the whole linebacking unit really suffers from the issues that they had at the nose. Um, but I, I mean, Dang's fine. He, he gets a lot of, I mean, like those linebackers, given how bad the, the nose was, those linebackers, particularly in the middle, were going to get a lot of tackles, <laughs> you know, um, I, I tend to agree a little bit that he's not, that he's a little bit of a stat, like he's a little bit of a stat monster and that like his, um, his, his numbers are a little bit inflated, um, more than, uh, his talent level, I think. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it's by like a lot, but, um, I, I wouldn't put him in the same category as, I mean, I, I like Cameron good more than I like dang, even though, you know, good doesn't have anything like the, you know, stats that he does. Well, good stats are also solid. 14 tackles for a loss, nine and a half sacks, six quarterback hurry. So he was able to get into the backfield and, yeah. uh, but again, on the outside, right? Like the, the dirty seeker run inside and you're going to get your yards on Cal. So yeah, I think that's, that's, it's important that they shore that up. And the question is, who are they going to replace Weaver with? And it's probably going to be Evan Tattersall, who is a redshirt sophomore, had three tackles last year. And uh, like, there, it wasn't like Cal has been killing it on the recruiting trail. And it's really going to be whether or not they can develop talent in that hole. Um, uh, I just threw a bunch of shade at Cal, <laughs> Max. I, I actually think Oregon State, I, I would put them above Cal in regards to their talent, but um, but feel free to respond. Um, just because I'm not counting Rashid, like I would have Cal and Stanford both o- over Oregon State. Oh, okay. So I guess on my end, I mean, if, if we're going to throw out Rashid, uh, I thought Riley Sharp played fairly well as a as a freshman. Um, 35 tackles, five and a half tackles for a loss, but it's in, it's the inside too. They had true freshman Omar Spates, who was, um, just really stepped it up at the inside. He had 73 tackles, seven and a half for a loss. Uh, Avery Roberts is uh, a steady hand there, redshirt junior. I just thought that they were able, like as a unit, that there's a lot of potential there. And obviously like even taking off Hamilcar Rashid, but if you look on the outside, Addison Gums is that Oklahoma transfer that hasn't played yet and was somebody that was a blue chip recruit. So I just think all across the board, you actually have some really solid players. Omar Spates was a freshman All-American. Avery Roberts was a transfer from Nebraska. Um, obviously, Rashid is, is just a monster. But even behind him, you have like Matthew Tegau, who like there's there's just there's a lot of depth there. And there's and they're they've all been playing as a unit and they have all been able to um, really be able to be productive. Like actually, that front seven of Oregon is uh, Oregon State is is kind of sneaky surprising in regards to the talent that they've been able to bring in and the stats that they put up. Um, but but all that said, Rob, I mean, I, I forget what they're – they were 61st in beta rank in, in rush defense, and that, that certainly isn't going to cut it. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just worried about Weaver leaving, and I really do like the talent at Oregon State. I think they can really take a step forward. The secondary, I don't know about that, but, but at least the front seven. Does that make sense, Max? I mean, this, this, the secondary stunk for Oregon State, but also those, those linebackers were not good in coverage either. Um, you know, and Cal's, I mean, I think if you were going to grade out Cal's linebackers in coverage, they were okay. I, I think they hurt. Cal's linebackers in coverage last year hurt some of their against the pass grade as well as that they weren't getting to the quarterback enough. Um, you know, like I, I think Cal had a terrific, you know, uh, set of corners and safeties last season. Yeah, I mean, if there's a knock on Oregon State's uh, defense, I mean, they do have a pretty decent run pass split in beta rank, 61 an effective rush, 95 an effective pass. 
Um, I, I do think that those guys, it, you know, there's a lot of focus on what Rashid is doing, you know, if the quarterback drops back. But the other linebackers have not been very good on uh, in their pass coverage either. And you saw it last year. Teams were able to, and this, this is true of a couple teams in the Pac-12, teams were really able to exploit the middle of the field. Um, which is often a dangerous place that a lot of teams avoid throwing into, but uh, you know they weren't af- uh, afraid to throw into the middle against the Beavers. Got to rain on my parade. Got to rain on my parade. Okay. Okay. So, no, I mean, like, no, I mean, I think they're. I'll take them over. I mean, Stanford has like no one coming back with a lot of experience, right? Like you would definitely take them above. You know, I would take them above Stanford right now. I'm counting Rashida and Max. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> no, no, because well, the problem because I made I made sure to go over this on the last podcast because I wanted to make sure if I was counting him for yeah. defender linebacker because that impacted my Oregon State um, ranking at defensive end. Everything. So I, I mean, he hardly. Uh, if it's a passing down, I mean, he's he's coming right, like as uh, as a rusher. So you almost do really want to count him in as uh, alignment. So that's I mean that's fair. I mean, if we count him there, like I think that's fair. I I still think I I think talent wise, you like what Stanford has more, but they they lose, you know, like everyone, um, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and I I I, I I would put if you, if if Rashid's there, I'm with you. I would put Cal a little bit ahead. But because I do like I do like good in particular a lot. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think you're right about Washington State there, Brian, too. But yeah, I, I think that order makes some sense that, that uh, we would have um, Cal, I would have I would have Cal a little bit ahead of Oregon State. OK, well, let, let's talk Stanford here because it's interesting. They they do return some production on the outside. Jordan Fox returns 22 tackles, three and a half for a loss. Gabe Reed also returns 43 tackles, nine for a loss. After that, though, it is it is a lot of question marks. So the depth there, I'm uncertain whether or not they're going to be able to uh, pull it off. Now, they do have a blue chip kid in Stephen Heron, who is 6'4", 233 pounds. He's a number four defensive end in 2019. I'm assuming he's going to – I plugged him in on the outside. So there is a little bit of a blue chip presence there, but it's interesting because it's not like it was a couple years ago. You know, normally you're used to four-year seniors that came in with four stars and they're waiting their turn. Right now it's – um, it's some guys that that had a little bit of pedigree that are seniors, but behind them, it's not a ton of uh, not a ton of five and uh, four and five star guys. On the inside, you have Curtis Robinson who returns a senior, sixty four tackles, um, and then a- Andrew Petrus who also uh, was was pretty um, productive in terms of his stats, seventy one tackles on his end. So I do think that there is some talent there. They also have a couple people behind them. They have two top 150 recruits um, on the inside that are interesting. So I don't know. I I think that it's possible that, you know, if if you're going to be bullish on Stanford, this is one of the units I think you can be bullish on. They return some production. They have some guys behind them uh, that have a chance to move forward. Max, I know that when we were going through our season win totals, we were higher on Stanford than Vegas was. Is this a reason why you're more bullish on them? Well, no, for me, it's Stanford. I mean, I, I love Stanford's offense. Uh, the D, I mean, the defense, uh, I'd say besides the secondary, there are definitely some questions, but I'm definitely more convinced that the linebackers can bounce back than the defensive line just because I think with Stanford, they had so many injuries to their linebacking core last year, and they get all those guys back, plus they return – the guys who filled in for the uh, middle linebackers who were injured. So like you said, like Curtis Robinson, as an example, like he was originally an outside linebacker who moved inside. 
Um, and then with those that were injured, like uh, Ricky Meisen, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and uh, Jacob Mangan uh, Farrar, like those are two guys who were lost for the season uh, early on, and now they're back. And I think, think just having those two, along with some former four stars like uh, Tristan Sinclair, um, and then having uh, Jordan Fox back uh, on the outside, I just think that uh, this was a group that was hampered by injuries, and I think with getting all those guys back, that that's a big plus. Rob, are you excited about Stanford's linebacking core? I mean, I'm not excited about Stanford's defense, to be frank. I mean, in 2018, they graded out at 39 in beta rank. And yes, there were some injuries last year, but they graded out at 81 last season. I mean, they were awful <laughs> as a defense. I mean, you're getting that, that kind of defensive grade is putting you in, your, in like UCLA, Arizona territory. I mean, they weren't that great against the run. They were 80, you know, they were 73 in effective rush, 86 in effective pass. I mean, yes, there certainly were some injuries there. I don't know that I I don't know that I have seen and I, I feel like with Stanford we get excited about the recruiting rankings. I have real questions about Stanford's player development and, and coaching right now. <laughs> I didn't think we'd say that, but I mean I, I think Stanford is turning into a place where, you know, good recruits go to not produce. Um, and I, 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 I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, like these guys getting, get, be able to move back into some of their positions helps, um, you know, but they're, they're, they're not returning a lot around them, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the defensive line will be nearly all new, I believe. Um, so it's th- this linebacking unit, I think could be in for a rough year. I, I'm more bullish on them because I do think that there is talent and depth. I don't think the defensive line is going to do them any favors, like you mentioned, Rob. I mean, it's just we were, we were taking a look, and I was trying to make the bullish case for Stanford on the defensive front, and it basically was like, I don't know, move some smaller guys into the middle. <laughs> like, maybe that'll do it. Um, and maybe that means moving some of the outside linebackers to the end. I mean, it, it is – that part is going to be shuffled. But it'll be interesting, and this is kind of why, like, film study is important because I do I, – I actually – I'm more bullish on them. I think that this could be a scenario where they are paying the price for the line and we just and, and we just see both the units kind of dive in terms of people's perception of them. But uh, I don't know, like what, what, where, where would you rank Stanford's uh, linebacking core compared to all the other folks in the Pac-12 North? Are they better than Washington State, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I'd put them at better than Washington State. I mean, that's damning with faint praise. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's where I'd have them. All right, I'd have Stanford at five uh, in the north. Coming next so year. you have Cal and Oregon State above Stanford. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, they were aw- they were awful last year. I mean, reg- I mean, regardless, I mean, like, I like, I'm sorry, like every like I, I get tired of people telling me like, oh, there are so many injuries. Like, yeah, every team has injuries. Like it, now, some teams get harder hit on certain units, but. All teams deal with injuries throughout the season. And Stanford last season, those guys that they were putting in were highly regarded recruits who weren't ready to play. I mean, they just weren't. And that's what I, I sort of look at it like I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm losing a lot of faith as I've been doing more of these reviews and, and looking at their numbers. Like I just, I'm losing more and more faith in the Stanford coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, I, I get you there. <laughs> that is a problem. Um, and not a lot of moves being made by David Shaw. Um, this year, 
and who knows if this like I think if the season were played, his hand would be forced. We'll see if that happens. But um, I guess let's go to Washington State. You know, the last person, and and even Washington State has some talent. Like when you compare their linebacking core to some of the cores in the South, you kind of go, oh, okay. You know, I I can work with this. And uh, you know, Max. Well, let me ask you this question, Max. And, and if you haven't gone through the South yet, totally we can defer on this. But is I mean. Is the linebacking core at Washington State better than half of the Pac-12 South? Uh, half of the Pac-12 South? I, I don't I don't think so. That'd be like, like UCLA, Arizona, um, Colorado. Uh, uh, I don't. I, I just think that. I mean, I think Jihad Woods is definitely um, a, a a nice piece to have. But I mean, Arizona has Colin Schooler. Colorado has Nate Landman. Like those schools have talent, and and so. To say that it's better than Colorado, you say Arizona. I I don't know if I can say that. But the other thing is that um, Washington State, with uh, I mean their new defensive coordinator. The interesting thing is that I mean, and we talked about this before, is that they're switching to a four-two-five scheme uh, with Dickert, and so if the linebackers are just Woods. And um, and, and like, like uh, Rogers, uh, Justice Rogers, or or Skylar, Tom- yeah, like the Washington State doesn't need um, to have as much depth with his linebacking core just because of uh, the scheme that or the base scheme that's rolling with. Yeah, we we talked about Lamonte Dougal as somebody to keep a lookout for last podcast because he's a defensive end. So if they're going. Four two, you got to think that they got the two tackles, Hobbs and Rogers, Will Will Rogers, not Justice Rogers. Then they have Lamonte McDougal with his hand in the dirt, and somebody like Willie Taylor, who was really a rushing outside linebacker last year, being the second. End. Now there's no depth at all behind them, like at all. Um, and, and even when you take a look at the inside guys, like let's say you did Woods and Rogers, no depth behind them either. But still, I mean, like. Let's give Jihad Woods his due. 141 tackles, 10 for a loss, four quarterback hurries. Um, and then Justice Rogers also had 70 tackles on the on the year. Now look, I'm not I'm not trying to boot like when I we talk about faint praise, you know, the bottom half of the Pac-12 South is certainly certainly falls into that category, Rob. Well, what do you think about Washington State? Yeah, I mean I think there's some players that I I guess you would look at and say you kind of like. <laughs> I mean, I think they're okay against the run. I think you could say a lot of what we said about Oregon State's guys and coverage about Washington State's guys. I mean, they definitely bear some of the brunt of the responsibility for um, Washington State's awful, um, you know, effective pass number that they had last season. Um, but, you know, Woods is a guy that gets, you know, gets his numbers, gets all over the field. Um, you know, he's a guy that would likely start at a lot of Pac-12 schools. Um you know, and as, as Max pointed out, I mean, they're certainly leaning into it by, you know, the four two five. You're going to spend most of your time in nickel anyway, so you know their switch is, you know, well, if you call it a switch. I mean, I think they were a four a four man front before as well. You know, they'll they they might they might struggle to find enough big men, you know, up the middle. But I I like these linebackers if that's all if they're only going to be running out two at a time in any given moment. Like they're in a decent spot with Woods and Rogers. All right, let's sum this up here. Max, top five or top six linebacking cores in the Pac-12 North. Rank them all. Uh, Washington, Oregon, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State. All right, what do you got, Rob? I've got uh, Washington, Oregon, Cal, 
Oregon State, Stanford, Washington State. Okay. I'm going to do – I'm going to go Oregon. Suck at Washington. I'm going to go Oregon, <laughs> Washington. Somebody, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, Oregon, Washington. Am I going to do Oregon State? I'm going to do – I'm going to do – I'm going to do Cal, um, Oregon State, Stanford, Washington State, and we'll see what happens. Um, short podcast. We're at 36 minutes. Anything on your mind, Rob? We had the first, like, honest to goodness star player opt out of the college football season this year or today. Oh, I um, didn't see Caleb that. Bartley. Yeah, he'll be a first round. He's going to be a first round pick. Um, Wait, I'm sorry. I, I stepped over you. Say his name again. Caleb Farley. Fairly. He's a corner for. Virginia Tech um, played about half the year last year was injured, but uh, on a lot of scouts boards was easily the top corner um, for next season. You know, pretty much, I mean, pretty much like a, a guaranteed first round pick. He opted out um, to start training for the NFL draft. Um, and I, but as you've seen with, you know, a lot of pro football players opting out. My expectation is a, a lot of college players will start opting out as well if they've got uh, their eye on the draft. I can see that, and particularly if you're, you know, a top three round draft pick. Like, why Why would you want to go back, risk COVID? You don't know what the, the long-term effects of that are. And and you're going to get paid if you go the, to the NFL. Like, I don't know. I mean, that that's the biggest knock on spring ball is that you're going to have a lot of players that are going to opt out. But – it's it's not like the I mean I I just think the 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 dirty secret is like and it's kind of an open one the NCAA needs the money like they're gonna I mean doesn't matter if Trevor Lawrence is playing or not like they still get those TV rights <laughs> if Clemson plays um, I don't know man I just I think that I think I think we're gonna see a lot more players decide to opt out and the season get pushed back more and more but I do think there's gonna be a season uh, Max do you do you see more players deciding to opt out of the season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's tough to trust so many eighteen to twenty two year olds, and and not not just college football players, but every every student on campus, just because I think that this would be a lot more doable if the schools were online, but then you couldn't call um, student athletes student athletes. So I think just the fact that if, if colleges bring back everyone, it's just going to be a cesspool at these campuses. So, yeah, I, I mean, for, for your safety's sake, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a lot of opt And especially if, if, it, if it does end up being played in the spring and the NFL doesn't change its draft date, then, yeah, there's going to be a lot of players, that uh, top-tier players that opt out. Oh, I'd put it this way. You know, freshman year Bryant Conger, freshman year Bryant Conger, that is the star linebacker for Clemson. Oh, I'm totally, I'm totally not paying attention to any rules <laughs> at college. Like I, I am making a ton of stupid mistakes and probably getting my my teammates COVID. Um, so I don't know. I think we're it's it's we're gonna see a lot of interesting decisions, um, not just from players opting out, but um, I think just college students being college students, and we'll have to deal with the ramifications. Here's a here's a question for you, Max. And we kind of joked about this uh, when it happened, but is Carl Durrell like the height of the of the coaching? Um of like the giant coaching spending bubble. Like he was the last, like, you know, the last ride of the Mohicans for these, you know, multi-million dollar contracts with buyout clauses and everything. Well, I, I yeah, I, I, I guess so. But I'm just interested to see, like, 
if it, because a lot of these coaches are older, and so I'm assuming that some of these teams have like backup have like backup head coaches if some of these coaches um, have to be in quarantine. Oh, that's that's a that's a morbid thought. Um, but you're right. I'm I'm just thinking it would be really funny to see Hugh Freeze coach again from the hospital, but this time with COVID. Like just. They wheel out the hospital bed like they did with them the last time. That man, what a! We- I thought I thought twenty nineteen was a weird year, and then we rolled into twenty twenty. Um, but Rob, do you think that we're going to see uh, kind of a decline in terms of how much coaches are paid? I just thought it was so funny that it was like Colorado and Carl Durrell, and like they threw him, you know, three and a half million dollars for like five years or something. And I'm like, well, that that's not a good idea. And then and then COVID hit, and a lot of these these budgets are going to be crunched. Yeah, I mean, what I've been going through and doing a lot of these previews, and there's there's a coach that you would say normally might be on the hot seat. There's there's almost no shot they're on the real hot seat this year, and there's almost no shot they're on the you know the, the, the real hot seat next year unless you know like big new TV contracts kick in at the same time. You know, like I, I was thinking of like Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. Um, who just had to replace both of his offensive, you know, both of his offensive and defensive coordinator this past offseason. You know, that's usually when you're as far into your tenure as Mason is, um, you know, that's usually a sign that, like, you know, this might be your last shot to really clean it up. Um, but, what, like, unless unless Vanderbilt gets a massive SEC TV check, like, they're not getting rid of Derek Mason. Like, I'm interested because for the first time in a long time, like, I think you could actually see a coach, like, finish out his contract and just not have it renewed. <laughs> like, yeah. Where yeah. the coach where the coach doesn't actually get fired. I mean, like, think of, like, uh, like Chip Kelly or, you know, Kevin Sumlin, you know, like, examples in the, in the Pac-12 um, of guys that are, you know, probably feeling a little would you know in under normal circumstances might be feeling a little bit of heat um right and but who are you know at athletic departments that you know paid reasonably hefty buyouts to their predecessors um you know and, and are not i mean i don't think arizona's arizona is not in anything like the truck you know in the red you know in the red like ucla is but you know like you're, you're you can't give these i mean one of the things that coaches often you know, the argument that often goes because there's so much freaking money in college football, you know, like I, I need to have the extra year on my contract so that people aren't using that in negative recruiting against me that I don't have job security. And then, so like the argument comes like, Oh, well, we might as well get rid of him now because we're not going to give him the extra year on the contract. So we might as well, you know, we got to make the move now and pay him out now. I mean, like nobody's going to get that extra year. Like you wouldn't give, I mean, if Chip Kelly goes, you know, 500 or whatever this year, if that, um, you're not going to give him a contract. You're not going to add another year onto his contract. That'd be bonkers. Um, you know, so, and, and UCLA certainly doesn't have the money. So that, that's what I, I'm really interested to see that, but I think you're right. Like, I mean, there's just, there isn't going to be the kind of money, um, to go out and sign unless you have really, unless you're a top notch school, and I mean, top notch is like an athletic department that really has excellent fundraising um, and can go out and raise the money directly from boosters without having to dip into um, operating, you know, operating revenue. Then you could do it. But, you know, those, there aren't a there aren't a ton of those schools around. Um, 
you know, I mean, but like USC is an example of a school that probably could, if they wanted to put together the booster money to get rid of Helton, you know, if Ohio state, I mean, for reasons on like uh, unknown became dissatisfied with Ryan day, they could put together the money to get to, you know, to get a new coach. Um, but like a lot of the other schools out there are going to struggle with that because they, they do have to often use, you know, operating revenue and, and TV to, to, to make those buyouts work. And they're, they're not being paid uh, out of booster. Interesting time. I mean, the booster stuff, I mean, the stock market's, the stock market's doing fine. My expectation is boosters are still doing fine. <laughs> but all that money in zoom baby or code Kodak apparently from whatever, whatever that, oh whatever God. that would a mess. I mean, like it is. Let's, a, uh, I'm sorry. This is like we're like I've, when I saw that I was like we're giving money this much money to the company that invented the digital camera and screwed it up. <laughs> uh, they're they're a tech company now, Rob. They're they're doing testing for yeah. games or whatever the yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Um, let let's let's stop here. And so we're going to take a break on our previews. We're going to get to the Pac-12 South linebackers next next show. We have a special guest coming on next week. And looking forward to that and continuing some conversations. Uh, email us some questions, uh, 12-pack radio, 12-PAC radio. And if you like the show, leave a review. We have like 37 of them. And like, look, I'm looking at the download counts. A lot, a lot, way a lot more of you guys out there. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, um, leave a quick five-star review. I do not want to open every show like for five minutes begging and pleading and reading reviews like i just don't think that's interesting so please save me from doing that and just going on your phone and real quick just if you like the show i'd like to at least make it past a couple of these uh pack 12 shows that like are no longer in existence I, I, so we would appreciate uh the help on that front um with that guys thank you for jumping on and we will catch you next week